What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, bringing another Productivity in Tech podcast. My guest this week is John. I'm not going to try it. So, John, please tell me how to properly say it. <laughs> Spazic. Spazic. Okay. There you yeah, go. I would have messed that up. All right. So, John, let everybody know about yourself. So, uh, well, my name's John Svazik. Uh, you know, a lot of people have have screwed up my name, so no worries, Jay. I mean, it's great when the telemarketers call and they mispronounce my name, and I tell them they have the wrong number, which always throws them for a <laughs> loop, which is a great filter. Uh, so I am an information security professional. I work for a company in Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, I work for, we make software for the MSP industry. And I've been in information security for about seven years now. And previous to that, I was a software developer for roughly 15, give or take, years. And what else? Uh, oh, yeah, I have my own podcast, the Purple Squad Security Podcast, where I talk to various professionals in the information security arena and uh, kind of share stories and, and get ideas on what's going on in the world and how can people either break into it or even do some deeper dives into some more technical discussions with people. So before we started recording, you mentioned that it is called Purple Teaming, although your podcast is Purple Squad, but kind of go into detail what the purple side is, because I know of red team and I know of blue team and I think I can infer what that means, but just in case. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so just to give uh, your audience a bit of background. So in information security, cybersecurity is another term for it, but most of us in, 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 the, uh, in the realm, we don't like saying cyber unless we're in government. Uh, but for the rest of us, it's information security. Um, I never actually understood why that was the case, but it is. But we have the concept of what we call red teams and blue teams. And this, this comes from military service where you have the red team and the blue team. And the concept is red is attacking, blue is defending. So within an organization, you normally have security staff on hand. Uh, if you've ever had to do any sort of phishing training awareness, that sort of thing, chances are you do have a blue team that is working for your organization, and their job is to shore up the defenses. They take care of the firewalls, intrusion detection, uh, spam protection, phishing protection, uh, network monitoring, over and above firewalls and whatnot, antivirus, EDR, so on and so forth. And the red team is usually an external group, somebody that you hire on a contract basis, uh, usually for penetration testing for your organization, uh, either application or network or both. And the concept of a purple team is actually putting those two groups together. Oftentimes what will happen, especially with a penetration test, the red team will be uh, kind of unannounced. They're just going to go in and they're just going to try to penetrate your network defenses and get in. And they usually have a flag 
that they've been told to get. It could be go get uh, some personal information records uh, from HR or see if you can get yourself as a domain administrator on our Windows network, something along those lines. And they'll do this. And if your blue team's good, they'll catch them. Now, because it's independent and if your blue team doesn't know what's going on, the level of success is usually in the favor of the red team. Usually you get, uh, if you have a very decent team that's going in, they will get in and get everything without the blue team ever noticing what's going on. While this is good, it can be very frustrating for the blue team because they kind of get this big report, a few hundred pages uh, that says, here's how we broke in through all your defenses and PS, you guys suck. Um, that's, that's the general feeling of the, of the blue team when they get these giant reports, like oh, who the hell are these guys? I think they're all whatever. And to be fair, there are some red teams that actually take great pleasure in showing up how, uh, leap their hacks or skills are. And it really is, it, it builds a bit of an animosity between the two teams, which, which drives people nuts. Uh, so I'm a fan of what's called purple teaming, where you essentially bring the two teams together the red teams will start attacking. If they get past the defense, they'll say, hey, blue team, we just got past your defense. Here's how we did it. And the blue team will be, oh, crap. Let's go take a look. They'll go through logs. They'll see, oh, we did see that, but we didn't have an alert set up for that. Okay, let's set that up now. Red team, go, don't you go ahead and try to do it again? They'll try. They get caught. Cool. Now the red team tries a different venue and, or an avenue or a vector of attack. And they kind of continue on that way. So the two teams are working together in tandem to kind of shore up the defenses as well as build up the skill set of the red team to see what does it actually take to get past that defense. I can't remember if it was Sun Tzu that said, know your enemy, but I'm sure it was some major war leader. And it seems like this is what you're doing in this process of being able to say okay we're not it's not this shadowy figure behind the curtain it's us right next to you and it's us working alongside of you to show you that you need help but to also explain it and guide you through the steps and i, I think that's something that a lot of um IT departments, they hesitate when it comes to bringing in security specialists because of that reason. They feel like you're here to make more work for me. You're here to show my boss that I'm not doing a good job. But I think the way that your purple teaming idea has really you know, shined in my mind is that it is a walkthrough of here are the good things that you're doing and here are the areas that need help. And I, I think that redefining how network security um, consultants and network security teams really help the industry and the company as a whole. Um, I remember you saying the value doesn't come from just the IT department, it comes from the whole company and the executives upstairs knowing that not only do they have a strong security, but now they have more informed um, personnel on their team. Yeah, exactly. 
it's a common belief that uh, security consultants can be there to add work to your plate. And that may or may not be the case. It really depends on your network. It depends on, on whatever else. Really, they're not there to point fingers or, or put out blame towards any, any person, department, or whatever. It could be IT, if we're talking about network security. It could be the developers, if we're talking about application security. I mean, as much as software development has multiple sort of specialties from full stack to back end to database to you know front end to whatever and then we throw in the the myriad of languages that we have out there as well i mean it's a wide open space security is very very similar where we have different specialties and specializations that we can get into the blue team and the red team being kind of the most common ones um, i would love to say that purple team was my idea it really wasn't it's been around for for quite some time um, however, it's, it's still, I would say, still in its infancy because not every organization uh, really buys into it. And even finding the appropriate consultant that can do it for you is also somewhat tricky because you need someone who is willing to be patient with you and can communicate well on the fly. But regardless, I mean, one of the things that bothers me is the fact that security is known by one of two things. Either A, we're here to make more work for you, or B, we're the department of no. So when we talk about in-house security teams, well, I just want to install this piece of software on my, on my laptop. No. Well, why not? Because you're not allowed. Why? Well, because I said so. And... This is reminiscent of IT, I'd say, in, in the early 90s, where budgets were huge and everybody wanted to get on the internet and you could get whatever you wanted. And IT had a lot of, of uh, power, more or less, because they were the ones that understood what it was. And they grew, you know, this is now granted, this is 20 years ago, but I remember it like the back of my hand. Uh, or like it was just yesterday, IT departments were really, really, you know, they had the iron fist of, of I can do whatever I want. And you had horror stories of, you know, the IT uh, admins from hell. And security has somehow gotten that same kind of shtick uh, and that same type of reputation. And the reality is we, it's not really that at all. What we're really trying to do is we're there to limit risk to the company. And that risk is really going to affect the bottom line. And that bottom line is directly related to your paycheck. So I would often have, uh, I had this one company I worked for and they would always say, you know, what drives you and be very proud of their, of their teams because and their various employees, because everyone would be like, I'm here to make the world a better place with the software that we're, that we're building here. And they're, they're, they'd give all these flowery speeches on everything else. And of course, I was, I was in security. And, you know, John, what are you, what are you here for? What drives you? And I'd look at them square in the eye and I would say, money. Yeah. And, they, <laughs> and they'd look at me and they're like, what? And I'm like, no, money. I'm here to get paid. If you don't pay me, I'm not coming here. But let me break this down for you. I'm going to get paid because you're getting paid from your customers. 
And your customers are only going to pay you if they have a certain level of trust and belief in the product that you're building. And if that trust is violated, either because of some sort of attack or because of some sort of compromise or because of whatever else, then you're not going to get paid, which means I'm not going to get paid, which directly affects my bottom line. So I will continue to work to protect you from those risks. But at the end of the day, let's be clear, <laughs> I'm doing this <laughs> because at the end of the day, I want to get paid. And if I happen to find enjoyment while I'm doing this and, you know, it just so happens I really like what I do, then that's great. But that's not my driving factor. And it throws people for a loop when I say things like that. But the reality is, no, I'm very pragmatic in that regard in that, you know, if, if we don't understand what the risks are, if we're not willing to mitigate those risks, regardless of what department you're in, uh, there is... No, there is a non-zero percentage of events that could occur that will impact the ability for me to get paid. You know, that makes me think a lot about the general idea of how do, like, how much security should I put into a certain product? Like, when I'm thinking about... Um, network security isn't really my my big area. The the more area that I'm I'm more known in is like, okay, I just need to sure up this you know website or this database and make sure that all of the right protections are in place. Well, I feel like there is always a level of overkill, and. Am I thinking about that the wrong way? Should I should I just say, you know, it needs to be as secure as we could possibly make it, spare no expense and and you know, create Fort Knox for my web app? Or <laughs> or is there like a level of like you're probably safe enough just doing these things? So I'm so glad you asked this question because this is where you can tell people who have been in the industry for a while versus people who are new to the industry or more dangerously, those who understand it from the edges, but don't necessarily have done that deep dive. Um, it boils down to a cost benefit analysis. Um, we can make things a hundred percent secure that are completely unusable because no one will ever be able to communicate with that system or use that application because there will be no input fields. There will be no network communication. There will be no website presence. Like there will be nothing. It'll be perfectly secure because no one can access it. Uh, but it, it's, it's pointless. So you can throw money uh, at a problem and you can spend you know, $10,000 to protect your $1 pencil, for example. And it doesn't make sense. We, in the security industry, there's lots of what we call blinky box vendors. You know, these are the vendors that are selling a product and they'll say, hey, buy this product and you'll be 100% secure. Okay, first word of advice. Anyone says if you use or buy their product and it gives you 100% security, they're full of it because there's no such thing. Um, so spending enormous amounts of money isn't going to really solve the problem. You know, we do risk analysis, we do threat modeling, we use a variety of different tools to basically identify, okay, 
what are the threats that could attack a particular piece of software, for example? If I've got a website, okay, where are my input fields? Right? What, are, what are the chances of someone uh, doing X? Right? So for example, if I have a website and I am taking, uh, I have a login screen. Here's a, here's a great example. I've got my login screen. What are my threats? Well, first and foremost, are people going to be um, trying to launch viruses at the site? Probably not. Probably what they're tr going to try to do is uh, screw around with that login page by uh, um, firing off username password requests. And maybe I'm going to pick one particular username and it's going to hammer a whole bunch of different passwords. Uh, do I have a control that will protect against that? What does that control look like? Do I have, for example, a timeout? So if you have five bad password attempts, do I lock out the account for a certain period of time? Or do I take it a step further and say, lock it out indefinitely until an, an, an admin comes in and unlocks that individual account? If I go with the admin route, um, what is the cost of that? Because now I've got a user that can't log in that has to wait for another person to uh, go in and unlock their account. If it's an automated thing, okay, 15 minutes is, is usually what I would do uh, for, for an account lockout. Okay, for that 15 minutes, how much of an impact is that, gonna, is that going to be? If this is mission critical and somebody just literally forgot their password, um, what if they have to call me? Like, what is the potential loss there? And you have to kind of weigh those to figure out what you what you want to do, how you want to protect it, um, and how much are you willing to lose? Because you are locking someone out. So the question is, how long are you willing to lock them out for? And what's the potential impact? And this is where these types of decisions can't be made on your own. You have to work with other teams within the organization. So you have your uh, customer success team, the people that are dealing with their customers. They understand the business models that the customers are using. They'll understand what is the impact if someone can't use it for 15 minutes or indefinitely until they get in touch with someone. Are your users you know, near a phone that they can use or are they kind of sequestered off in a, in a secure area that you know, they don't have open communication. So the option of just calling an administrator may not be an option at all. And, and that sort of thing, as well as, you know, working with your different uh, business leaders as well. At the end of the day, risk has to be assumed by the CEO. And whomever that happens to be, he or she has to make that final call on, yes, I will accept this risk to the business or no, I will not. But they can't do that if you don't give them the necessary um, information about these are the potential harms that could come if we didn't do this. You know, one of the things that I, I always think about is how do I, how do I create security through, I, I would say almost innovation. Like you hear these, you see these companies that are like, uh, now I think the, the big thing is the magic email. Everyone's like, oh, put in your email address. Now we're going to go send an email to you. Once you get it, you put in this password we just generated for you and then you're in. Uh, what is your take on the best methods for, for authentication in that manner? And 
is there inherently a risk for trying to create, I guess, new ways to get into something uh, in hopes that maybe the bad guys have never thought of ways to get around them? So first thing to know is bad guys are lazy. Uh, they're not going to to really go after uh, really complicated mechanisms or whatever else. Um, so the tr truth be told, a lot of the standard things that we do in software development, again, sort of like creating your new account, uh, type in your password, or just give me your email and I'll generate a password for you. Um, I'm not a big fan of that and I'll tell you why because you're migrating the risk from the user to yourself, right? The organization that's generating the password, unless you're forcing the user to change that password after you give it to them initially, uh, means that you're the one who came up with it, so you're the one that's responsible for it. So if you get attacked, you hold and bear all responsibility for it. Truth be told, you can let your users pick their own passwords, but what you can do is kind of encourage them to do a proper password. And what I mean by proper is give them a length uh, requirement. Don't do the eight character passwords. Those are not secure. Those are very easy to bypass. And chances are people are going to reuse a password they've had somewhere else. What you can do is you can work with uh, sites like Have I Been Pwned, where they have an API that you can query to say, hey, when you type in your password, we're just going to check to see if this password's been in a leak somewhere else. And if the answer is yes, then pop up a warning for them and say, this is probably not a good idea. This password has been compromised in this data breach, this data breach, and this other data breach. Can you try a different one and let them let them do that? I would recommend minimum of 12 character passwords. Um, I also wouldn't necessarily worry about uppercase, lowercase number and symbol. I mean, that's old technology that we've had and this whole idea of rotating passwords as well. These have kind of been uh, like NIST, for example, has actually said, uh, these are not great ideas anymore. You should probably kind of move away from them because what they found is people that have to rotate their passwords every 90 days, and this isn't normally something you'd see in an application, but you would see within a company. What ends up happening is people actually pick weaker passwords because they can't remember what their last 15 passwords were, even though the system's like, no, you've used that in the last 15 passwords. We can't let you possibly use it again. So people pick their favorite uh, their 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 favorite password and they'll add a one to it and then a two and then a three and then a four and they'll just recycle through those 15 things because it will be the same sort of thing and it goes from there now going back to your original question about what what would be a good way to design an application uh, for authentication how you come up with the password i would honestly i would let the user pick their own password i would do a few other things though i would uh, encourage them to pick a unique password. And again, by using services like Have I Been Pwned, they have an API that you can actually call out. You give them a hashed password, 
Uh, so they never actually get the raw password, but I think they don't even take the full uh, hash. I think they you generate a SHA-256 sum, and then you send like the first eight characters of that uh, SHA to them, and they'll tell you, yes, we've seen it, or no, we haven't. Uh, the other thing that I would do is I would encourage them to make use of multi-factor, right? Add that second factor, um, you know, be it through Google Authenticator or whatever else, but having that code, uh, I wouldn't go with the SMS because, well, first of all, it's a pain in the ass, and secondly, it's, it's again, it's not recommended. It's a NIST recommendation not to make use of SMS for your second factor, uh, but any other code would be fine. Now, having said all of this, the fact of the matter is if you have a determined attacker who is absolutely hell-bent on breaking into a system, uh, they will succeed in one way, shape, or form, right? There's, there's very little any of us can do. So, you know, going back to this whole concept of red and blue team, we would say the blue team has to be right 100% of the time. The red team only has to be right once. And of course, that's true, but there's a corollary to that. After the red team is successful, now the clock starts ticking. How quickly can the blue team pick them up? And by adding multiple layers of defense, you can find uh, these, these attackers a hell of a lot faster. And from there, you stop them before they cause significant harm. When it comes to something like authentication, yes, having a password, let the user pick that password, make sure that password is unique. And then uh, going back and looking at things like account lockouts, if someone's really trying to hammer on a single account, lock them out, I would actually generate a log entry and say, hey, we've locked this person out because of these uh, this many failed attempts in X minutes. That makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk about uh, one the thing that actually uh, introduced me to you and into your podcast was this this post that you uh, just had put out about you and a, a team of or an event that uh, you put together where it seems like you gamified the idea of information security uh go into detail about about that idea sure so yeah i did a so we had a conference uh, here near where i live uh called true north um so people are interested you can go take a look at it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna plug their conference because it's already over uh but it's it's basically we had a workshop me and a few colleagues of mine and we put together um, what we call a tabletop exercise. Now, some of your listeners may actually know what a tabletop is. Some of them are thinking this is a Dungeons and Dragons type of thing. Um, they're both right. Uh, a, traditionally, a tabletop is kind of a, a simulation of an event occurring within your company. What does that mean? It means something bad has happened. And what you do is you get different people from different departments. So you can have HR, you can have IT, you can have legal, you can have finance, you can have your executives uh, come in and you sit down and you say, okay, we have a business continuity plan. And the whole point of this exercise is to walk through that business continuity plan 
by trying to address an event. And that could be anything from the office is flooded to our database server has crashed to we've been attacked with ransomware. And what do you do? And these business continuity plans are, are exactly that. They're plans that will step your staff through their different responsibilities and the, the means to reach recovery. Your business is interrupted because of something. So what do you do to recover from that event and get yourself back to, back to the positive, back to being able to actually do your business? So a lot of times when people do these, they'll, they're usually performed by the security team. Not always. IT teams will do them as well. Uh, they don't have to be security events. Like I said, you have uh, flooding, which is a great example. You can have an ISP disconnect, right? Your ISP has gone down. Uh, we actually just had that a couple of weeks ago with, uh, or actually last week, I guess uh, it was based on the day that we're recording now. Uh, where Cloudflare was down and it was down because of an issue with a third party ISP out of like Pennsylvania or something that published a bad route, which caused half the internet to go down, which was you know fantastic. But that's another story for another day. But the point is, how do you resolve it? How do you go through it? You know, the problem that I have with tabletops is people will follow what's called the happy path oh, we're just going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and it's fine. It just works. And as we all know, reality doesn't follow a happy path. So my idea was to merge the idea of a traditional tabletop exercise with Dungeons & Dragons. And why did I do that? Mainly because I wanted to introduce randomness to it. Now we're not talking about orcs and you know mages and and barbarians coming down the street and going to the tavern and trying to clear out a basement full of rats. What we're talking about is getting people to follow their disaster recovery plan, their business continuity plan, but every time they have to make a decision, roll dice. And the way I do it is I have two sets of dice. Um, well, one set of dice, but a six-sided dice and a 20-sided die. And the idea is, depending on the decision that they have to make, they will have to roll one of those die. And depending on what it lands, I have uh, predetermined conditions that you're either successful, you're not successful, and then the severity of that. So those who have played Dungeons & Dragons if you roll a natural one, which basically means you roll a dice and or roll a die, if it lands on a one, that is the worst possible outcome. Or if you roll and you get a natural six or a natural 20, which is whatever the highest value of the die that you're rolling happens to be, be that a six or a 20, that is the best case scenario. That's the closest you're ever going to get to a happy path. And then you kind of have something in between. Uh, for whatever it happens to be. So when we do these tabletop exercises, even the non-gamified ones like I have, uh, you still have someone who's kind of coordinating and driving that forward. When we start rolling dice, you have to have someone who does act like that dungeon master, that person who's driving the, the, the exercise and is telling you what is the outcome of the role that you just did. 
So the conference that we had was an interesting scenario that I had cooked up. And the gist of it was you were a uh, small software company that was in the waste management industry. You built software for the waste management industry. And it's a very niche market, but it's very, very competitive. And just so happens that your organization happens to be the uh, industry leader. And what ended up happening is you came in, everything was fine. All of a sudden you hear a buzzing and the fans and all the machines are, are spinning up. And after about 10 minutes, the machines start rebooting themselves, almost like dominoes. You can see it throughout the entire office. And you had about you know, 450 employees, 500 machines, and all of a sudden they all come back up and you've got a ransomware screen uh, that's popped up. And the question began with, what do you do? And we kind of turned it over from there and let the audience kind of try to work their way through. So we had people in groups. We had an IT department. We had an HR department, finance, legal, and support, uh, and marketing as well. And one of my co-presenters was our CEO. So he got to make final decisions just to kind of keep us on track. Did anyone have to roll for initiative? No, there's no roll. <laughs> okay. I mean, as you were talking about it, I kept getting these these images of orcs in the server room, and and that's probably going to be a show title. But um, I, 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 I really love this idea because, like you said, we we always uh, what's what's the saying? Um, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Exactly. Like I, I feel like that is often ignored in terms of security because when people think that there's a security incident that is the worst and it's like oh no it can get worse than that um so to to introduce a little bit of randomness into the plan is really a great way to simulate a more realistic experience and i think that uh i think one of the other big examples that i've seen of this is where Netflix has their, they call it the chaos gorilla, which yeah. I believe it's like every 24 hours, a randomized um, incident affects some part of their network infrastructure to just to make sure that they're shored up in all areas. Like one, it's insane. Two, it's brilliant. Um, I, I really thought that was a very cool idea. So, before we wrap up and jump into the after show, I, I just want to thank you for one, a great primer on um, information security. And I hope that the listeners to this can, I don't know, trick your boss into listening to this episode and maybe starting that conversation somewhere. But if they're near the Waterloo area and they want to recruit you for your services, how can they get in touch with you? So uh, probably the easiest way uh, to get in touch. So I do actually have a side gig where I can I can do these these tabletop exercises and and we can kind of go from there. Uh, go over to elitesec.io, uh, E-L-I-T-E-S-E-C.io. Uh, because I'm a huge fan of Hackers, the movie from way back when. And 
back when it meant something, when someone was called elite, that meant that, that actually meant something. So head over to elitesec.io. I apologize for the website. I am trying to redo it, but I wanted to whip up something uh, just to have a presence. Uh, but regardless, people can reach out to me there. Uh, we have a contact form. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch. Uh, if they wanted to do something like this, if people just want to chat with me to talk about security items or whatever else, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at John's not here on Twitter and uh, my DMs are open. People can hit me up on DMs and we can kind of take it from there. And you also have a, a Slack community as well for people who are interested in talking to other um, information security professionals. Yeah, so we do. We have a Slack community for my podcast. Uh, you guys can head over to purplesquadsec.com and you can find uh, links to the Slack community from there. So we actually have an invite bot at signup.purplesquadsec.com or just hit the website and I've got a link to that signup bot as well. And yeah, we have a, a small but vibrant community of people that like to... Uh, like to talk uh, talk security for sure, and we have a mix of people: those who are in the industry, those who are in, who are developers, those who are in school, those who are uh, in QA, uh, and you know we have a nice wide berth of people that are definitely there to help if anyone has any questions. You don't you don't pen test us when we try to sign up, right? No, that would be mean. Uh, <laughs> plus, without a contract, I wouldn't without permission. Okay, <laughs> just, just no, check no, it. No, no penetration without permission. Let's put it that. <laughs> and and as someone who has who has just started listening to the podcast and really enjoyed it, um, one, I want to thank you for the quick uh, turnaround on this. I, I think we were able to uh, get introduced, get scheduled, and record within a matter of days. Um, just like your information security should be, you should be able to respond and and act within you know, a short period of time. Uh, that's my corny uh, IT joke there. But uh, <laughs> as someone who's listened to the podcast, I really enjoyed it. It, it made me think of things that, uh, one, I don't want to think about because security and lack of it is scary. And But also it informed me a lot about ways that I can take to my team and say, hey, let's just make sure that we're we're doing the right things and and maybe even, again, roll for initiative and, and just see what happens. And, and, you know, I think playing pretend does a lot. No, no, for sure. For sure. And I appreciate everything uh, you just said, Jay. That's, uh, that's awesome. But yeah, you know, no rest for the wicked, as we say. All right. Well, everyone, we're about to jump into the after show. So if you've enjoyed this conversation and you want to hear more from John, then head over to productivityintech.com slash memberships and sign up to become a premium member. It not only gives you access to all the bonus shows, but it gives you access to our private group inside of our public Slack channel where I talk about productivity in tech as a business, how it's doing, how we can improve it, as well as listen to your feedback and connect with you for some productivity and some technology at least once a week. Again, that and more information over at productivityintech.com. You can always reach out to me at KJAYMiller on Twitter. And of course, be sure to follow Productivity in Tech and all things going on as well at prod underscore in underscore tech. Special thanks to Nadir Mawale for the use of his music, a hustler in spite of myself. And for John, 
and productivity in tech. I'm Jay Miller, and I'll see you next time.